Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And we tell stories about everything here on this show, from the arts to sports, and from business to history, and everything in between, including your stories. Send them to OurAmericanStories.com. That's OurAmericanStories.com. There's a Your Stories icon right on the top of our browser. Just click it, and we have a nice form you can fill out. Your stories are some of our favorites. They're the heart. They're the soul of what we do. And now it's time for another installment of The McClellan Files, where we go deep inside the life of Bob McClellan. Bob is one of our favorite features on this show. I met him probably about three to four years ago. Somebody had told me Bob's a great storyteller. Met him out in California. Met him not far from San Francisco. 
and I just couldn't stop listening. Four hours just flew by. And now, well, you're about to listen to another of the many stories we've done by Bob. Today's episode is one of adventure, entitled Crocodiles and Cannibals. Take it away, Bob. In January of 1996, I sat with 11 other scuba divers on the top deck of a 150-foot liveaboard, watching the sunset over the mountains of Guadalcanal. Leaving the biting, blood-sucking mosquitoes and flies behind, our boat moved away from the shore and headed out to sea. The cooling ocean breeze changed the hot and humid air of the jungle to one more conducive for a livelier exchange among the divers. Scuba diving is always the favorite subject of conversations among divers. They've been travels to another world, and their conversations express the wonders of what they've seen. They discuss all the places they've been, the animals and plants they have seen, and sometimes tell stories that are quite harrowing. I asked one of the divers how many dives he'd done. He said 5,000, another had 3,500, and so on. One turned to me and said, how many dives have you done? I said, 10. Hey, Ted, 10? How long have you been diving? Just a couple months, I replied. What brought you to such a primitive and isolated place like the Solomon Islands? I said I wanted to see Guadalcanal, and my dad landed on this island with the 1st Marine Division in 1942 and spent six months of his life here fighting and holding the airport at Henderson Field. They were quiet for a few moments until another asked quietly and almost sentimentally, Is your father still alive? No, I said he died in 1986. I'm sure he would have been touched that you made this trip. What do you think he would say if he knew that you came here? I started laughing. What would my father say? He'd say, What the hell's the matter with you? Are you out of your mind? Why would you go to such a godforsaken place like that for? I mean, for God's sakes, those people are cannibals. They eat people over there. You'd be lucky if they don't cut your head off. Now, I used to think he was exaggerating about the island until I bought a book at the hotel lobby in Honiara, which had a picture of a bunch of shrunken heads piled up in a small hut along the shore someplace. We sailed and dove around different islands for a few days when one morning I came up to the deck for the daily dive briefing and saw something that I had not counted on before paying for this voyage. There in front of some folding chairs was a blackboard. In the upper left hand corner was a drawing depicting our first dive of the day. It was a crude drawing of a cave underwater with a long snout filled with teeth of a saltwater crocodile sticking out. The dive master announced that our first dive of the day was a journey into a cave to see a saltwater crocodile. Oh, the only voice I could hear after that was that of my dad, who late at night would describe to me how the Marines would be dug in along the perimeter of the airfield, waiting for the Japanese to attack. His face would grimace as he recounted the grisly screams of the Japanese soldiers and the thrashing of the water by those who were attacked by the crocodiles while trying to cross the river at night. My father was not a man to be intimidated, but the saltwater crocodiles of Guadalcanal made him so squeamish that he would grimace as he described the sounds. 
No one asked me after the briefing, what would your father say if he knew you were going into a crocodile's cave? The saltwater crocodile is the largest reptile in the world in terms of mass, weighing well over 1,000 pounds. The males can reach a length of up to six or seven meters. This is a large-headed species with a heavy set of jaws containing 75 teeth that can exert pressure of several tons. When eating, they don't chew their food. They just grip it in their mouth and swallow it whole. They have to eat rocks to help them digest their food. Saltwater crocodiles are huge, aggressive, territorial, and plentiful in these waters. The dive master asked the group who wanted to go. I never minded getting in harm's way as risk makes life more exciting, but I didn't want to risk standing right in front of it and get eaten by it. But my choice was either to express my fear and concern or get in the boat and go. So I got in the boat. I prayed that no one else did because my dive partner was the dive master and where he went, I had to go. Unfortunately, three divers did volunteer. As we motored over to our drop-off location, the dive master asked me if I wanted to go into the cave. And you're listening to Bob McClellan and What a Storyteller. And by the way, if you want to hear more of Bob's stories, again, go to ouramericanstories.com. And on the search bar, just put in Bob McClellan's name and out will pop, my goodness, do- over a dozen, maybe more stories about Bob, his father, his life in the Marine Corps, and so much more. When we come back, more of the McClellan Files here on Our American Stories. And again, please, there are storytellers like Bob all over this country. So please send your stories. Or if you know someone like Bob in your town, and every town has at least one Bob McClellan, Get us in touch with him or her uh, so we can get the stories of your town and their stories, too. Again, when we come back, more of Bob McClellan, Crocodiles and Cannibals, his trip to Guadalcanal, where his dad had held an airfield back in 1942, here on Our American Stories. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, We're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. And we're back with our American stories and the McClellan Files. When we last left off, Bob was scuba diving Guadalcanal, where his dive master asked if he wanted to enter a cave to see the deadly saltwater crocodile. Let's continue with Bob. Lacking his curiosity, I casually responded, no, no, not today. Maybe some other time. But, you know, actually, I would really love to see one in the zoo. He smiled and gave me instructions to wait outside the cave for him. Chances are, he said, he won't be in there this late in the morning. In any case, they would not be too long. We went over the side of the boat and into the water. 
Swimming along the reef at 40 feet, the sunlight of the coral and the fish created a brilliant kaleidoscope of color. The water was as clear as glass. The visibility at least 150 feet and the temperature was 83 degrees. Rays of sunlight shot through the water, illuminating the coral, the sea fans, and the fish. The brilliant life and color that surrounded us on that reef are what makes the Solomons one of the most famous and beautiful dive locations in the world. But in spite of the beauty all around me, all I could think about was the photo of a long snout with rows of giant teeth of a crocodile mounted in the lobby of the hotel. All that was missing was the trapped body of Bob McClellan painfully clenched in his mouth. Swimming slowly over the top of the reef, the fish was from right up to my face and stared at me through my mask. Looking at me eyeball to eyeball, they looked like they were trying to figure out, well, what kind of fish am I? Or what the heck am I doing down here? The sharks? The sharks circled close by with one eye watching every move I made, perhaps wondering the same thing. To them, I was the alien in this world. Was I something to be feared or eaten? When we reached the cave, the black hole of its opening was like looking into a giant mouth. The crocodile prey would be taken through that mouth and go down to the lava tube throat into the belly of the earth and be eaten. Floating before that orifice, my dive master signaled for me to wait, and armed with their flashlights and cameras, they disappeared into the darkness of the cave. Floating with neutral buoyancy in liquid space far from the mothership, I just marveled at the exquisite vista of color that surrounded me. It was so beautiful and serene. The only sound I could hear was that of the expelled air from my regulator. My only movement was the gentle sway of the current. With my arms folded across my chest, I just slowly bobbed up and down, blowing bubbles and waited for them, when all of a sudden a thought popped into my mind. What if he's not in there? If he's not in there, that means he's out here. Then where in the heck is he? Suddenly, I regretted coming on this trip, and now it was too late. I feared the entire vast Pacific Ocean that that crocodile would be hidden close by watching me, just waiting for him to move in for the kill. A chill covered my body, realizing that being suspended in water at 40 feet of depth he could come upon me from any direction. Now all of my thoughts would become inflamed by my imagination. What could I do? If he did come at me, where could I go? I knew going to his cave with four other divers was a bad idea, and so was trying to beat him off with my flashlight and camera. That clearly would not work. Even heading to the surface with my legs dangling out of water, waiting for a boat didn't appeal to me at all. I was already in a life and death struggle and he had not even appeared. I just didn't know what I would do, or what I could do, except just stay there and wait. It was my only option. Just stay where I am and wait. And I still turned my head anxiously around and around, trying to look in every direction at once. My breathing accelerated as I realized how vulnerable I was, floating there alone. My wetsuit was not a suit of armor. It was more like sandwich wrap for a crocodile. 
a thousand pound beast so big and powerful like a crocodile would not even bother to unwrap my wetsuit before eating. Why didn't I just stay on board, I asked. My vision was limited to only one direction at any moment. I could only see 10% of my surroundings at any one time. I rotated my head around to see in as many directions as I could. My head bounced like a bobblehead doll, looking above me, beneath me, behind me, below me, in front of me for that 21-foot reptile. My heart rate was high. I felt like bait hanging in mid-space waiting to be eaten while I prayed for my companions to return. I don't know how long I was alone before the divers emerged from the cave. In a state of fear, the sense of time freezes and becomes motionless as the angst becomes permanent and seems like it's going to last forever. Judging by the lack of any excitement from the divers, I knew the crocodile was not at home, but that means I was right. He is out here. He's probably still hiding somewhere, waiting for the right moment to trap me in his jaws, pull me down underwater to drown me, and eat me whole in his cave. He's out there somewhere. When the dive master signaled to me the are you okay sign, I lifted my air gaze to show him it was sitting right on the red zone at 500 PSI. I could see the surprise on his face as he saw that somehow I quickly went through almost a whole tank of air and had to surface right away. He quickly motioned for me to surface as time underwater is not measured in minutes. It's measured in pounds per square inch of air. Air is time. Without the one, the other ceases. I was filling my orange sausage and BC vest with air while blowing bubbles from my whistle before I even reached the surface. The whirring sound of the little boat to ferry me back to the mothership was a welcome relief. Climbing in, I just waited for the crunch of his big teeth sinking into my calf and pulling me back underwater to head straight to his rock dining room. I wanted to get out of that water as fast as I could. Back on board, the divers were having a nice lunch gobbling grilled shrimp and sucking and tearing meat out of a lobster. Next to the grill was a pile of fish waiting to be cooked. Looking at their dead and lifeless bodies waiting to be eaten, I felt sorry for them. They had my sympathy that day, as I too might have been on the menu as the catch of the day. And you've been listening to Bob McClellan, and my goodness, what storytelling. By the way, for anybody who has ever done any scuba diving, and I have, air is time. And my goodness, seeing that red on the dial is terrifying. And you just don't realize that if you're scared or you're nervous, which I always was, and gave it up. I just gave up scuba diving because I didn't enjoy it. I was too scared and too nervous, always thinking about what was coming around the bend. Just didn't like it. I snorkel now. It's more fun. By the way, if you want again to hear more of Bob McClellan's work, Go to the McClellan Files, type that in our search bar at Our American Stories. And what you'll hear, especially the stories about his father, oh my goodness, be still my heart. It's right up there with what Pat Conroy did writing about his father. And great work as always to Joey Cortez who produced this piece. And thanks as always to Bob for lending his voice to us and just continuing to pour his storytelling and heart into our work. Bob McClellan's story, Crocodiles and Cannibals, here on Our American Stories. Hey there, this is Joey Cortez, the producer of The McClellan Files. 
You can catch all of Bob's work at OurAmericanStories.com. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com toyota let's go play places. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long. 
which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. And we return to Our American Stories. And up next, a story from our friend Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, or FEE, on a document and event that helped establish a very important principle in our country. Take it away, Larry. To the Right Honorable Governor of New Netherland, Peter Stuyvesant. You have been pleased to send unto us a certain prohibition or command that we should not receive or entertain any of those people called Quakers because they are supposed to be, by some, seducers of the people. For our part, we cannot condemn them in this case, neither can we stretch out our hands against them. We desire, therefore, in this case, not to judge, lest we be judged, neither to condemn, lest we be condemned, but rather let every man stand or fall to his own master. We are bound by the law to do good unto all men, especially to those of the household of faith. With those words, Edward Hart, the town clerk of what is now the Queens neighborhood of Flushing, New York, began a powerful 650-word document known as the Flushing Remonstrance. It was December 27, 1657. Hart wrote on behalf of the 30 inhabitants of the village who also boldly signed their names below his. This was a defiant shot across the bow of the state, personified by Governor Stuyvesant. It was an act of resistance and an early declaration in favor of the freedom of peaceful worship. Moreover, it was not a self-serving stand for the freedom simply of those who signed it, none of them were Quakers, but rather a defense of the freedom of others. Think of it in these terms. In contravention of the practice of tolerance back in the mother country of the Netherlands, Governor Stuyvesant promulgated a policy of intolerance in the Dutch settlements of New York. He aimed to persecute those who did not adhere to the Dutch Reformed Church and the nonconformist Quakers were his prime target. In this response, the citizens of Flushing essentially stated, you are commanding us to persecute Quakers. We will not. So take your intolerance and stick it where the sun doesn't shine. If you're inclined to stop listening because freedom of religion is not important to you, perhaps you're not of any faith or you believe your faith is not threatened, think again. Freedom in one sense is indivisible. A successful attack on one of its elements invites assaults on the others. 
allow the state to breach one wall of freedom's fortress, and you have invited it inside, where its agents and sycophants will work to bring down the remaining walls. A government that can tell you what to think and say and punish you for thinking and saying what it disapproves will not self-limit its despotism there. This is likely what Voltaire had in mind when he reputedly asserted, I disagree with what you say, but will contend to the death for your right to say it. The timid multitudes stand idly by as freedom is crushed, doing nothing unless the danger appears on their own doorstep. The uncommonly courageous few will rise far sooner, and it is to them that all of us who love freedom owe special gratitude. Governor Stuyvesant's policy of persecution had begun in 1656 with an ordinance banning unauthorized religious meetings. Quaker preachers were harassed, arrested, jailed, and fined. In Flushing itself, a Baptist pastor was imprisoned and then exiled for the crime of baptizing without a license from the Dutch Reformed officialdom. The Flushing Remonstrance stirs my blood with an abiding appreciation for principled courage. How fitting for such an enlightened document to appear two days after Christmas. Inspired by Jesus' teachings, the brave souls of Flushing were likely full of hope for the good that peace and tolerance could bring in the new year. They concluded their statement as follows. The law of love, peace, and liberty condemns hatred, war, and bondage, desiring to do unto all men as we desire all men should do unto us. Therefore, if any of these said persons come in love unto us, we cannot in conscience lay violent hands upon them, but give them free egress and regress unto our town and houses as God shall persuade our consciences. Governor Stuyvesant reacted in anger. Determined to quash the spirit of the remonstrance, he dissolved Flushing's town government and put his own cronies in charge. He arrested four of the signers of the remonstrance, including Edward Hart. To his credit, the elderly Hart went to jail, but never recanted. Relief from Stuyvesant's harsh rule finally arrived in 1663, but not by the hand of any government. The Dutch West India Company, sponsor and investor in the Dutch colonies of North America, dispatched a letter to Stuyvesant ordering him to stop religious persecution. So much did Thomas Jefferson later revel in the spirit of the Flushing-inspired motto, Rebellion to Tyrants is Obedience to God, he inserted it on his personal seal. Religious freedom in a world run by political and religious tyrants, even in America, had to be fought for tooth and nail. A century before the Flushing Remonstrance, Protestant Huguenots from France tried to settle near what is now Jacksonville, Florida. The Catholic Spanish slaughtered them by the hundreds and destroyed their settlement at Fort Caroline in 1565. In the 1630s, religious dissidents Roger Williams and Anne Hutchinson were famously expelled from the intolerant Puritan colony of Massachusetts Bay. William Penn founded Pennsylvania as a refuge from religious persecution. He himself had been imprisoned in the Tower of London for his defiance of the Anglican Church. From his cold, dank cell, he had declared, My prison shall be my grave before I will budge a jot 
for I owe my conscience to no mortal man. Later in Philadelphia, the capital of the colony he founded, Penn wrote, I do hereby grant and declare that no person or persons inhabiting this province or territories shall be in any case molested or prejudiced in his or their person or persons because of his or their consciences, persuasion, or practice, nor be compelled to frequent or maintain any religious worship, place, or ministry contrary to their religious persuasion. The 16th and 17th century heroes for religious freedom in America would have been thrilled on December 15, 1791. That's when the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution took effect. It formalized the separation of church and state and forbade the government from passing any law that would disfavor or favor any faith or interfere with any person's peaceful exercise of it. Adopted in 1868, the 14th Amendment went further by preventing the states from enacting laws that would promote or stifle religion. Today, the Flushing Remonstrance is known as the religious Magna Carta of the New World. It proved to be a major influence on America's founders to enshrine freedom of worship in the Bill of Rights, more than a century after the citizens of Flushing defied a governor. God bless America. A great job to Monty for producing that piece, and a special thanks to Larry Reed for writing and performing the piece, The Flushing Remonstrance. Imagine a city council or state passing a rule prohibiting unauthorized religious meetings. What else would they pass? Which is the point of Larry Reed's brilliant piece, a great story about religious freedom and religious persecution, religious bigotry. The story of the Flushing Remonstrance here on Our American Stories. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. 
Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrified horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This is Our American Stories, and our next story is brought to us by a regular contributor, Bill Bright, who brings us the story of the Lionel Train. Here's Bill with the story. Once American railroads dominated popular culture because they were the only means of fast land transportation. Now, there are other ways to get there from here. They seem less important, and toy trains share the marginalization of their prototypes. For perhaps a decade after World War II, the technical, managerial, and promotional genius of Joshua Lionel Cohen, founder of the Lionel Corporation, made his toy trains a solid part of American middle-class boyhood. In 1952 alone, Lionel produced 622,209 engines and 2,460,764 freight and passenger cars. Ron Hollander's delightful, lavishly illustrated biography of Cohen and his company, All Aboard, states that Lionel's 1952 production eclipsed the nation's railroads, which had a mere 43,000 locomotives and 1.8 million cars in service. Joshua Lionel Cohen was born on Henry Street in Manhattan's Lower East Side on August 25, 1877. 
He preferred playing ball, bicycling, hiking, and tinkering with mechanical toys to formal education, and soon became fascinated with electricity, its transmission, and its storage in batteries. In the labs at Peter Cooper Institute, he built what may have been, or what he claimed was, Cohen had no false modesty, the first electric doorbell. In 1899, he patented a device for igniting photographer's flash powder by using dry cell batteries to heat a wire fuse. Cohen then parlayed this into a defense contract to equip 24,000 Navy mines with detonators. His ignorance of armament manufacture did not stop him. He used mercuric fulminate, a sensitive and powerful explosive. His supplier's delivery men told him, The company said you should always keep a good deal around. It's better to be dead than maimed. In 1900, with $12,000 in profits, he began manufacturing electrical novelties at 24 Murray Street in Lower Manhattan as the Lionel Manufacturing Company. He was 23 years old. Business was slow. He invented a battery-powered electric fan. He said, it was the most beautiful thing you ever saw. It ran like a dream, and it had only one thing wrong with it. You could stand a foot away from the thing and not feel any breeze. While walking on Cortland Street, a few blocks south of his offices, he stopped before Robert Ingersoll's toy store. Cohen was intrigued by store display windows, though he found most boring, and Ingersoll's was no exception. It was full of cast iron fire engines, balancing clowns and elephants on wheels, wind-up boats, and a tin locomotive on a pull string, all sitting lifeless. Cohen thought the constant motion of an electric toy might draw a crowd to the window. He looked at the locomotive again. Then he entered the store and sold Ingersoll on the idea that had just come to him on the sidewalk. He soon returned with the first Lionel train, the Electric Express. It looked like an open wooden cigar box on wheels. As Cohen later said, I sold my first railroad car not as a toy, but as the first animated advertisement in New York outside of sandwich men and live demonstrators. I sold it for four dollars. Well, sir, the next day he was back for another. The first customer who saw it bought the advertisement instead of the goods. Ingersoll ordered half a dozen more. Other stores ordered them too. Cohen had found his niche. In 1902, he produced his first electric trolley car, sold as a set with 30 feet of steel track. It cost $7. This was not cheap. An industrial worker's wages for a six-day week then averaged $9.42. In 1906, he began using three-rail track, which radically simplified electrical transmission. Now an operator could build an elaborate track layout with turnouts and reversing loops without complicated wiring. A year after that, his catalog listed trolleys, steam and electric locomotives, passenger cars and freight cars, all brightly painted and lettered for the New York Central, Pennsylvania, Lake Shore, and other railroads. Cohen did not lack competition, but Cohen beat them because he produced a reliable product with an expanding line of accessories and was an audacious promoter, selling his toys as educational because he knew parents needed a rationalization for their purchase. Knowledge of electricity is valuable, not only as a profession, but as an education, whether one is an electrical engineer or a bell hanger. The kids couldn't have cared less. By 1912, Cohen had 150 employees. 
World War I stopped the import of German toy trains, and without serious domestic competition, Lionel became the dominant market player with its large, lavishly illustrated color catalogs bringing the message to millions. By the late 30s, Cohen's models of the era's great locomotives, the New York Central's Hudson, the Milwaukee Road's Hiawatha, and the Jersey Central's Blue Comet, started, accelerated, slowed, and stopped in response to push-button remote controls. They pulled an endless cascade of boxcars, hoppercars, tank cars, and passenger cars. In 1929, Cohen unveiled the Transcontinental Limited, which stretched nine feet. It cost $110, then more than a second-hand Ford Model T car. As John R. Stilgo noted in Metropolitan Corridor, his study of railroads in American culture, Lionel's catalogs emphasize the trains and their environment. The bridges, stations, signal towers, tunnels, and turntables, all placed among twisting lines of track. Crossing signals with flashing lights, ringing bells, and descending gates protected the miniature citizens of Lionel City and Lionelville from onrushing expresses. Expansion was interrupted only by World War II. By 1945, most Americans hungered for distractions. Cohen's vision of America, as reflected in his trains and accessories, struck the exact chord of nostalgia and progress, and the orders poured in. Lionel's showroom on East 26th Street in Manhattan held a huge layout with a four-track main line. Cars coupled and uncoupled, drawbridges rose and fell, and coal bunkers dumped coal into waiting hopper cars. Cattle herded themselves into and out of stock cars. As trains passed through grade crossings, tiny crossing guards popped from their shacks to wave their lanterns. Whistles, chuffing sounds, and even smoke came out of the locomotives. Cohen, who had handed over Lionel's presidency to his son, Lawrence, loved to spend hours among the crowds, occasionally providing expert advice to customers. Hollander recounts how Lawrence, who lived at Two Sutton Place, was awakened by his doorbell at 6 a.m. one Christmas day. He found two small neighbors in pajamas who asked, Can you fix our trains? Understandably, their parents were still asleep. Lawrence, in bathrobe and slippers, followed them up to their apartment. The president of Lionel soon had the trains running. Then he wished the boys a Merry Christmas and padded back downstairs to bed. The good times didn't last. They never do. From 1953, Lionel's best year, to 1959, sales dropped by more than half. It was television. Hollander noted that families got together to watch I Love Lucy, not to wire Lionel's new ice depot and watch a tiny man push blocks of ice down the open hatch of a toy refrigerator car. It was aging. As kids grew older, they became more interested in Elvis, James Dean, girls, and cars. And it was the decline of American railroads. Cohen's marketing genius had perfectly fit the nation's mood for perhaps eight years. Then, suddenly, it didn't. In 1958, the company lost money for the first time since the Depression. In September 1959, Lawrence returned from a sales trip to the Far East to learn that his father and sister had sold their shares of stock to a group of businessmen led by Cohen's great-nephew, Roy Cohn. Cohn paid $15 for each of his Lionel shares in 1959. Four years later, he sold them for $5.25. 
Lionel survives to this day despite a string of bankruptcies and reorganizations. In 1999, A&E produced an hour-long show ranking the top 10 toys of the 20th century. Lionel was number four, preceded only by the yo-yo, crayons, and Barbie. If Cohen had been alive, he died on September 8, 1965, and was buried within hearing of a secondary freight line of the Long Island Railroad, the old promoter would have screamed in protest. This was unfair. The trains should have come first. And great job, as always, by Robbie, and a special thanks to Bill Brike to have done what Cohen managed to do, which is to create one of the great toys of the 20th century, ranked number four, the story of Joshua Lionel Cohen. In the end, the story of the Lionel Toy Train, here on Our American Stories. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free... Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health, but by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Thank you. 